So, Parshat Vayetze. It's a strange name for a parsha. It's Parshat, get out! Right? Lech is so much more. Go on a journey. Vayetze, Yaakov goes, gets out. This parsha is all about getting out. It's about breaking out. And I'm going to share with you a part of the story, a strange story. So it was, um, it must have been a horrifying moment. There's just no other way to describe this. It was actually foggy that night. And even though it began in the afternoon, in the Golan, in the Suez, it really hit the fan as it came towards evening. On October 6, 1973, we talked about the Golan and what happened there. We haven't talked about the other, the other front lines, which is the Suez Canal. And I've been to the Golan many times. I have never been to the Suez Canal. The time that I had when I could, I actually went uh, into the Sinai once um, before the peace accords, whatever, as a kid, but uh, never, never went down to the Suez Canal. It's one of those places I hope one day to visit. We were so arrogant six years after the Six-Day War, they would never dare. There's no way. We are so awesome that they didn't see it coming. There were about 500 men on the entire Barlev line. It was called Barlev line, by the way, because Chaim Barlev who was the chief staff of Israeli army, designed this defensive <coughs> perimeter after we took the Sinai in the Six-Day War so that the Egyptians would never dare to attack again. And it was a pretty significant border. Mines, bunkers, cement walls. Kind of, uh, when you study it, reminds you a little of the Maginot Line in France. Same arrogance. The Maginot Line in France, which was supposed to protect France from Germany, was impregnable, that's what they felt. It just never occurred to them that the Germans wouldn't bother to come through the Maginot Line. They'd go around through Belgium. And it never occurred to them, even though that's exactly what the Germans did in World War I. Unbelievable. Similar arrogance that we had in 73. I'm not judging the people involved. For all I know, I would have felt the same way, but... There were three tanks on the entire Suez Canal that were manned on Yom Kippur of 1973. And while the estimates vary, the general consensus in the first wave, 300,000 Egyptians. It would eventually reach almost a million men. 300,000 Egyptians come across the border after a heavy artillery barrage. Bridges, ramps down to the canal that were built already a while before. And nobody paid attention. Rubber dinghies floated down. Nobody paid attention. Hundreds of thousands of men. They didn't have enough bullets. Now let me ask you a question. You're sitting in a bunker. You're, you're in, a, in a trench. And your job is to look out over the Suez Canal. Because if a terrorist tries to sneak across, which happened, there are orders to open fire. And you begin to hear noises and you see things. And you suddenly realize... As far as you can see, they're rubber dinghies. They're bright yellow. 
They weren't yellow, they were actually green, but whatever. And they're being loaded down to the water. What do you do? What do you do? You've got a machine gun. You're trying to call anybody to listen, but there's nobody there. Like, Command Central was all the way up in Tel Aviv. Everybody's out on leave. It's Yom Kippur. What do you do? In one word, what do you do? You're, you're manning it in your particular area. Maybe there's 20 guys. And it looks to you like there's 30,000 men crossing the water. What do you do? You run. You go. That's what you do. The most incredible part of the beginning of the Yom Kippur War in the Suez Canal is that not a single man ran. That is just mind-boggling to me. I read this as a comment, as a sidebar, to a report I once read on the battles of the Suez Canal and what happened down there. And the, just unbelievable, the stories in the Suez Canal. Pockets of men completely surrounded by Egyptians, totally outnumbered, forces breaking through to rescue them, 30 guys piling on the back of a tank and clinging on to get out of there. Nobody ran. They tried to hold the line. And by the way, it would be safe to assume, because they held the Egyptians for hours, that had they not done that, the Egyptians would have rolled up through the Sinai. And once again, you know, we'd be asking permission from the Egyptians to learn Torah you know, under an Egyptian flag. Sometimes you've got to take a stand. So I want you to bear that story somewhere in the back of your mind. I want to share with you an, an interesting piece of this project. There are two, two particular pieces I want to share with you that I think form an idea that is something we all need to think about. And I will tell you, by the way, that the idea that I'm going to share with you tonight fundamentally changed my life. I live with this every day. It is one of the ideas that I credit with completely changing my life. It's a totally different way of looking at the world. All right? So this is a really weird story. You remember, Yaakov was running away from Esau. That's the beginning of the parsha. Yaakov's coming back at the end of the parsha. This parsha is a 22-year story. Yaakov runs away from Esau. Esau wants to shecht him. Yaakov stole the blessing, stole the Bechorah, whatever the story is there. He gets down to Padan Aram, to Haran. He gets down to where Lavan is. Meets Rachel, falls in love with her, wants to marry her, works for seven years. Lavan switches the brides, has to work for 14 years. Ends up married to Rachel and Leah. They have lots of kids. Leah gives her kids. Rachel gives her Bila. She's a handmaiden. She gives her kids. So Leah gives him Zilpa. She gives her kids. You gotta wonder if my parents would name their kids Zilpa, but I'm not gonna go there right now. And he has all these kids, right? How many boys does he have in Parsha Vayetze? Basically, the sons of Yaakov, right? And one day, Yaakov realizes that the jig is up. Something has to change. And so after 22 years, he decides it's time to go. Now, my question is why does Yaakov decide it's time to go? He's got the good life. He's living in Boca Raton, Bal Harbor or Hollywood, whichever one you choose, right? He's living in Teaneck, Tina Fly. He's living in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills. He's got it all, baby. Lovin tries to pull a fast one on him, right? You know, these are all my sheep. You're working for me. He says, I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal. I'll continue to work for you. I earned the 14 years. I got my wives. I can go. But you see, it's good to have me around. I bring you lots of blessing. I'll make you a deal. 
I'll be the shepherd, I'll run the business, I'll do it all. I get to keep the mutated sheep, the speckled sheep. Now, Lovin thinks to himself, what a lemma. <laughs> what a yo-yo. Everybody knows, you know, every thousand sheep, you get a speckled sheep. I'm going to make a killing with this yo-yo. This is going to be awesome. But Yaakov has this whole system. Different divining rods over water, get the, the flocks to look at themselves and get all excited and mutated sheeps, you know, together will make... You know, this whole discussion of what he exactly does. He's got a sheet on or maybe he just goes into the tent when Lovin is looking and he does his, you know, Kabbalah davening and a Kashbarchu. From then on, it's all speckled sheep. You gotta wonder what Lovin's thinking when he keeps seeing more and more speckled sheep, but okay. But they made a deal, and a deal's a deal. And so, seven years go by, now he's there 21 years, and he's wealthy. He's wealthy, everybody's happy, life is good. And then all of a sudden, something changes. And he decides to leave. What changes? How does a Jew finally decide to leave Teaneck? That's the story here. So this is rather strange, right? It's in Paraklav and Aleph, right? Chapter 31, okay? Vayar Yaakov et Pnei Lavan v'nei enenu imo ketmol shalshom. Pasuk bet. And Yaakov sees Lavan and sees his face isn't like it was yesterday the day before. Now what do you think that means? What does it mean that he sees Lavan differently? Pardon? The attitude changes. Something's off. By the way, in order for Yaakov to realize this, what does he have to be doing? He has to be looking at Lavan. He has to be paying attention. Which is interesting. Because very often, we kind of fall into the groove. We don't pay attention. You know? I, 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 I think current events are a little frightening, to be honest. There's something going on. You can read it between the lines of the news. Whether you're in France or Los Angeles, there's something going on. Hashem is stirring the pot. It's been a long time since people have sensed this kind of anti-Semitism in the world. There's something going on. You know? Things that we took for granted, like the Senate supporting Israel, people are starting to question. Now, do I think the Senate is, you know, going to vote in BDS next week? No, I don't think so. Can you be as confident about that as you were two or three years ago? I don't think so. So Yaakov notices something, and he realizes, right? And then it says, Go back to the land of your forefathers, to your birthright, and I will be with you. Ask me an obvious question. Should I read the passage again? I'll read the passage again. Go back to the land of your forefathers, your birthplace, and I will be with you, yeah? Yeah, what does that mean, I'll be with you? Hashem's always with us. In order to say I'll be with you, there are one of two possibilities. One possibility is, somehow, I'm not with you now, or Yaakov thinks I'm not with you now. What's the other possibility? Yaakov's nervous that he won't be with me there. Neither of those makes sense. Okay. Vaishlach Yaakov. So what do you do? What do you do? Hashem says go. What do you do? What did Avram do? He goes. Hashem says to Yitzchak. Right? I'll No, no. There's a famine. You don't go to Mitzrayim. live here. What does Yitzchak do? He stays. Hashem says to Yaakov, go back. What does Yaakov do? 
And you know that I've worked hard for your father. I don't deserve that he's treating me differently. He plays games. He tries to cheat me. And if he says this, it means that. And Hashem gave us Parnassar, right? Baruch Hashem. He's a big Baruch Hashem guy. What is this dialogue? You're Yaakov Avinu. Okay? Avner, you're Yaakov Avinu. I grant you Yaakov Avinu. Okay? And God comes to you and says, go to Mitzrayim. And let's say you're a smart guy. You say, you know, I'm going to get the wives on board. So you call your wives. By the way, just an aside. Being married is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's also a lot of work. Being married to two women, beyond my comprehension. I'm not even going to four. So how you juggle two wives, I have no idea. Don't want to go there, right? But Yaakov seems to do it to some degree. So maybe that's why he's calling them. I don't know. They're sisters. Even weirder, but okay. So, yeah, don't try this at home, right? So, so, so Yaakov, what would you say? Out there, what would you say to your wives? They come out to the field, they say, yes, honey. Maybe each one has a different name. One calls him Yankele, the other one calls him Yaakovov. I don't know. And what do you say to them? No? We're leaving tomorrow. We're leaving. Akash says we're going. We're going. In fact, I don't even know why he sends for them to come to the field. Bring the flock in. Pack your bags. Let's go. So this is strange. Okay. But then it gets even stranger. Listen to this Pasuk and ask me an obvious question. You ready? Okay? And I saw in a dream, I saw all the speckled sheep in my dream. What's the tzuch with the sheep in the dream? That's not what happened a minute ago. And the angel of God in the dream comes to me and says, Yaakov, and I said, Hineni, here I am. Look at all the sheep. Where is this coming from? I see all the sheep you have. I see everything Lavan did to you, is doing for you, did to you. I am the same God of Beit El. Remember that he went to Beit El after that famous dream of the ladder at the beginning of Parshat Vayetze, right? You made a promise to me there. You said to me, If you will be with me, I will do everything. Get up, and it's time to go home. And then Vatan, Rachel, now, he's not actually dreaming this. He's telling them about his dream, and what Hashem said. And now Rachel and Leah answer, and whatever happens, happens, and they go. So I don't understand, which is it? Does Hashem come to him, or is it a Malach who comes to him? Now give me the simplest explanation. How would you say both? It's either one or the other. 
So you think it's two separate instances? Yes. No, not pshat. Not pshat. Not only is it not pshat, but that would raise a lot of questions. Yeah. In other words, Hashem came to me, but it was a Malach who came to me. Who tells Avram, Al tishlach et Who tells Avram, you can't shech the Yitzchak? The Malach. But really, who's talking to him? Baruch So the simplest explanation is, Hashem comes to him, but it's a Malach that comes to him, but he understands it's Hashem talking to him. But that doesn't completely solve the problem. Why? Why doesn't it solve the problem? Okay, why doesn't it solve the problem? Okay, that's a separate question. We're going to get to that in a second. But why doesn't it solve the problem? Because the Pasuk says that Hashem comes to him, and then the Pasuk says that Allah comes to him. So which is it? And by the way, what is the difference, Libriyot? What is the difference between Hashem coming to you and a Malach coming to you in the Pasuk? Bearing in mind that we once spoke about this, but I will remind you about what a Malach is. And now we can go back to Avishai's question, which is, what's the whole game? So just to be clear, it's time for Yaakov to go. Hashem comes to him and tells him to go. You would think Yaakov would go. Nope, he calls his wives. When he calls his wives, he tells this whole, you know, the Malach came to me. We started talking about the business. And then he said, it's time to go. So which is it? God, the Malach, the business, Vastutzah. That's question number one. Question number two. There are only two questions. Don't get nervous. Question number two. Vatan Rachel Vleavatomarnalo. Right? So Rachel and Leah answer and they say whatever they say. Hello, Nachriot Nechshavnu Loki Macharanu. We're like strangers to him. He sold us. Can you imagine how Leah must have felt? Lavan says, you know what? This isn't what happens by us, that the older one should get married before the younger one. Right? That's not how it works. So, you know what? You're going to marry Yaakov, even though he's expecting Rachel. However you look at that story, it's hard to imagine what Leah must have experienced. Right? And by the way, this is a different topic. I actually gave a shear on this one, so it's recorded somewhere. If anybody wants, I can send it to you. But Leah feels what emotion? What does Leah feel? Snua. She feels hated. Now, it never says that Yaakov hates Leah. But just because you don't feel that way, if you made her feel that way, something's wrong. Big problem. So Leah feels like a stranger, and Rachel also. We're, we're, we're property. We don't need to stay here. All of this wealth that Gad gave to you is ours from God. It's almost like they're having a discussion about, well, Hashem says we should go, but... You know, how are we going to keep on the business? Do we get to take the sheep? And Rachel is saying, well, we could take the sheep because Hashem gave it. It's very strange. That's, your, that, that's the discussion. Hashem says it's time to go home to Eretz Yisrael. Forget the sheep. Leave the sheep. I don't need the sheep of Lavan. We're going back. We're going to build the base of Mikdash. No. How do we keep the sheep? Very strange. So Yaakov gets up and he goes and he takes everybody. And Lavan, he's a businessman, he goes out to shear the sheep. Yaakov's not dumb. He waits till shear, sheep shearing season. The sheep are out in the flocks and they're going 
to be sheared, and so Lavan is going to be shot in the Pesach away for three days. And here comes the strangest part of this whole story. Anybody want to take a guess what I'm about to talk about? Strangest part of this whole story. Oh. Vatignov Rachel atatrafim asher So Rachel steals the trafim. Now what are trafim? Best as you can approximate, given, you know, mefarshim, commentaries, translations, whatever. They, they are some sort of uh, idolatrous talisman that allows a person to divine things. Like the equivalent of medieval crystal ball. Lavan somehow has, I'm not getting into whether this literal or girl, whether this is real, whether it's perceived, some sort of ability that Lavan has to divine the future, to know where they are. It's like the ancient GPS, some form based on astrology. The Rambam, by the way, talks about this in one of his farm. Some really weird stuff about these truffin. I'm going to put that aside. But it's absolutely a form of Vorzah. It is given a power that is ascribed to something other than Hashem. And I can figure things out, right? It's like, you know, what do they call those cards? Tarot cards that the, the astrologers use. Idolatry. So, Rachel steals her father's idols. Do I have to ask the question or does everybody get the question? There are two major questions here. The first is, why what? Why what? Why would, why would Rachel Imenu steal Avorazara? How could you steal Avorazara? And how could you steal? Rashi, by the way, very difficult. Rashi says, let me see if I can find this. Is this here? Um, I thought this was Rashi. Ah, tell me I lost this Rashi. One second. She wants, he quotes the Medrash, because it's so, te- this is so difficult, there's no pshat in this. She says, she wants to separate her father from idolatry. That he shouldn't be an idol worshiper. There are two obvious questions, if that's, I, I'm not going to pretend to understand Rashi here, I don't. But the Maral suggests that if you're studying a piece of Torah, and somebody offers an opinion, and it makes no sense to you, that means Hashem is telling you, you can't follow that path. So I can't go with this, because it makes no sense to me. Let me ask you a question. If you, I'm not judging Rashi, right? but if the reason, I'm sure there's a deeper meaning here that I haven't figured out yet. If the reason Rachel takes the trafim is to separate her father from Avodah Zarah, first of all, what's then the smartest thing to do? What? Destroy him. Destroy them. She doesn't destroy them. Not only doesn't she destroy them, but then it gets really interesting. So Lavan catches up with them. He runs after them. That's an interesting discussion why he runs after them. It's actually one opinion. Right? Anybody know why Lavan spends all this energy trying to run after them? So, yeah, he misses his daughter. Is he, but if he's a Russia, if he's a wicked person, why, why is he going after them? Yeah? He wants to kill Yaakov. Why does he want to kill Yaakov? He wants to trough him. So that makes her stealing them even crazier, unless she's stealing them so that he'll come looking for them. Now, if that's true, and that would fit very well with the story, now I understand why she doesn't destroy them, right? 
but I can't escape the fact that it would be hard for me to imagine that I come to that conclusion and Rashi didn't. So what's Rashi talking about here? But the strangest part of the story is Lavan shows up and he basically says to Yaakov, Lama ganav Why did you steal my gods? Right? What are you talking about? That's why I snuck away. But you think I stole your gods? I don't know what you're talking about. You can go look. If you find... If you find your trophim, your idols, whoever has them will kill him. You can kill him. Because he has no idea that Rachel stole the trophim. So he comes through all the tents, can't find him. And then he comes to all of Rachel. So now Rachel's in a panic because she's got the trophim and Lavan's going to find them. What does Rachel do? Am I remember? She sits on them. Oh, that's a brilliant move. I'll sit on them on the pillow. And then she says to him, you know, Ali I got the women issue this month. Now remember in those days, if you had a women issue, it wasn't like today where there are systems. Like, it could be messy without getting into unrespectable details. That's your plan? That's your brilliant move? I'm going to sit on them? You ever watch the movie where the guy steals the money from the bank robbery and then he has it in the house and he leaves it on the table and he goes to another room and you know what's going to happen. You know something's going to happen. You're like, dude, put him in a drawer. Hide it. Ah! No. Rachel Imenu, she sits on them? That's the big plan. So I want to understand what's going on here. Why? What's this dialogue with the Malach? What's this dialogue with Hashem? What's this whole issue of... So I want to tell you two ideas. First of all, whenever a Malach comes into the picture, something's wrong. Okay? Vilna Gaon says this, a number of Farshim talk about this. Whenever you see a dialogue with an angel, it means that someone has become distant from Hashem. Give me the classic example where a person is talking to an angel, he must be somewhat more distant from Hashem than he was when he was talking to God. Avram, if you can take a knife and hold it over your son because you think Hashem wants you to shecht your son, that's going to create some distance. That's going to challenge you. There's one opinion that says the reason you're, you're struggling with God is because God told you to do it and they told you not to do it. Hagar leaves the home. Hagar leaves the home of Avram and a malach comes to her because if you could be kicked out by Avram, sorry, you've become distant from Hashem. So somehow Yaakov is more distant from Hashem. Now listen to this. Because this is deep. I believe that the dream that Yaakov is having about speckled sheep and the malach that comes to talk to him is the dialogue he's having with Hashem. What's the problem here? Why now is it absolutely time for Lavan to leave? Because Yaakov goes down and he's dreaming about ladders and angels. And now he's dreaming about sheep. He's sitting in the base medrash. And he's struggling with how to understand the Tosvos. And then two years later, he's in University of Echvesnish. And now he just wants to know who to invite to the party. You know? One minute, you can't, you can't follow Rav Lichtenstein's sheer Klali. And the next minute, what should you invest in in the hedge fund? Now, don't get me wrong. 
there's a place for their herits. There's a place for having a profession and for dealing with the world. But understand that as you immerse yourself in that world, it brings you down. You can't stay on the rooftop overlooking Harabayat and the Kotel, right? When you're in Emory. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And by the way, don't think you have to go to Chutzlaretz to feel this. You stay here, you go to IDC. You're sitting in IDC or, or, or in Barilan, and then you get a high-tech job, or you're in the army, in the midst of a mitzvah. You cannot be in yeshiva when you're in the army. It's very difficult. I know people love to talk allegorically. You know, if, if, if you can be plowing the fields for Hashem, and you're just like in the Beis Merish when you're in the field, and it's not true. It's just not true. Even Rav Lichtenstein, when he was doing Meloim, was not in the Beis Merish. So the first message of this parsha is, understand that if you're in the house of Lavan, you're going to get Levanified. You're going to stop dreaming about angels. You're going to stop dreaming about ladders of, of heaven. And you're going to start dreaming about sheep. And isn't it interesting? By the way, it's an interesting discussion that Rav Tzadok has. When the Nevi'im have this kind of an experience and a Malach comes to talk to him. So we've been affected by the way the church views these kinds of biblical stories. And we have this image of a winged creature sort of calling out, you know, something out of Da Vinci's pieces. That's not what Chazal talk about, right? When, 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 when the Jewish people are Harsinai, and Hashem comes to talk to them, right? And Hashem says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, you the individual. It's like I'm having a shmuzlech. Every Jew felt he was having a shmuzlech with God. So if Tzadok HaKoyin asks a fantastic question, what did God's voice sound like? Like when Hashem is talking to you, what did it sound like? He says, you know what Hashem's voice sounded like? It sounded like your voice. When Hashem talks to me, he sounds like Benny Friedman. And when Hashem talks to you, it sounds like Alicia Shmala. When he talks to you, it sounds like Jake Gelb. You know why? Because the beginning of our journey into a relationship with Hashem is inside ourselves, trying to figure out what Hashem wants of us. Yaakov is in a dialogue with Akash Baruch Hu, and he starts to understand he's not in the same dialogue. He's in a different place. Leich Shuv. It's time to go home. By the way, what other individual is told by God, Leich Shuv Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, and does not go directly down? He goes back to where? Who said Moshe? And who does he go back to? Do you remember? Vayashav Moshe El Yeter Chotno. He goes back to Yitro. And God has to come again. And he says to him, No, you can go. And all the first ask, Hashem says to go, you don't go, why don't you go? Moshe Rabbeinu is in Midian for 40 years, he got Midianized. Don't think it doesn't have an impact on you. Now the question is, so what do you do about that? What do you do about that? Now why don't you know something? You want to succeed in life, you got to have a plan. Got to have a plan. You want to do tshuva, right? What do we say? The first stage of karsachet, you got to recognize the mistake. Okay? And I, I mean this not facetiously. Okay? All of you, in your own way, will head out to a different world. Nobody stays in this yeshiva forever, nor should they. And in that world that you go to, you will be entering the world of Lavan. Now, I can't tell you if you're going to enter the world of Lavan in the Israeli army or an Israeli university, or American university, or, you know, teach for America and volunteering before you go to university. But you will be entering a different world. 
And when you enter that different world, you've got to recognize, you have to have a kar sachet, you have to recognize there is an inherent problem in this. Having, seeing a mistake doesn't mean you're doing something wrong always. You know, if I'm teaching a guy to drive and I know he's going to mess up, it's part of the journey to teach him. doesn't mean he's a bad person, it just means it's part of the journey. So then you've got to have charot, that has to bother you. Does it bother you enough? I remember I really struggled with this. You know, I was going to the army and, and I came to talk to someone and I said, I'm really, I'm really nervous about going. I feel like I'm finally getting someone, I'm finally learning and I'm, I'm, I'm hopping sheer and just went through a, a Lichtenstein Shekholi and I got it and I started giving it over and it was unbelievable. Now I'm going to go to the army. And so I went to talk to two of the Rebbeim about it and they said, that's excellent. I said, what's excellent about it? What are you talking about? He said, because now you've got the first stage. You realize that you're going to have a problem. If you don't know you're going to have a problem, if it doesn't bother you that you're going to have a problem, then you're never going to fix it. So you could debate this, and this is a legitimate debate, and I could take either side of this debate, and anybody wants to have this debate, come down afterwards for children, and we'll have this debate. You could debate whether you should go to college or you shouldn't go to college. But I'm reasonably comfortable saying that most of you, no, that's a legitimate debate. Right? That doesn't mean you shouldn't have a parnasa. It just means it could be that the great Jewish community of University of Maryland, which relative to a lot of universities is great, is still not the best matters. Okay. So, recognize that there's an inherent problem. Does it bother you? Does it bother you that you're going to go, and I don't care whether you're going to the army or you're going to college, did it bother me enough that I'm going to be going to a place where I'm the only guy with a kippah on his head? I went through the struggle not when I went into the army, because I was going with his dernikim. I thought it's going to be like a base medrash in the army. It was a little bit of a shock to me when it doesn't quite work that way. But when I went to officer's course, I suddenly got it, because I had just been in sergeant's course. I'm going to be alone. And I think I'm going for the right reasons, and I think it could be a kiddush Hashem, but I'm really risking everything. Should I be doing that? That's not so simple. I'm not going to be talking to a Baruch by the end of this officer's course. I'm going to be talking to Malachim at best. Lahavdil, right? You know, allegorically. <laughs> and then you got to sign on. You know, I remember talking to my son-in-law about this. He, was, uh, he went to Tzanchanim, and then he got chosen for officer's course, and he was in Sayar at Tzanchanim. He had to sign on. He was four and a half years in the army. Do you know what it is to be four and a half years in the army? Were you the only guy with a keep on your head? It's a nice niggly. He has a keep on his head. Are you nervous about this? It's scary. So what do you do about it? How do you make sure that you don't... So this is where Rachel comes in. This is so gewalt, right? Once you know that there's a problem, once you understand that you're entering a different world, you're not, you're not going to be dreaming about ladders, you're going to struggle through a malach, right? Comes along Rachel and says, you know how you solve this problem? You have to take the idol. You ready for this? You have to take the idol and you have to sit on it. You have to sit on it. You have to be Rav Nevensal as a magnificent Zichai. I went to relook at it to make sure I was getting it right today. You have to sit on it. You have to be mevazit. If you hold it up to the light, if you understand, if you think that money is the holy grail and you look up to money, then, then, then money will own you. But if you understand that money's not, that, that's not what the world is about. If you can sit on it, if you can be mevazid, if you can degrade it, to some degree, if you understand, then it doesn't have any control over you. Now this is interesting, right? By the way, you know what's like this? Astrology is like this, right? 
there are all sorts of Allah discussions about whether you're allowed to dabble in astrology. And yet the Gemara dabbled in astrology. In fact, it's interesting. If you go around the Eretz Yisrael, and if you want some examples of this when you're on Hanukkah, I can tell you places you can go and see this. Right? There are many um, ruins of Bate Knesset that exist from the time of the Mishnah that they found in Israel. And many of them have mosaics that include astrology, the different signs of astrology. And the Gemara talks about these things. And Soloveitchik points out the issue with astrology is not that it's not true. That's not the issue. There's a lot of truth to astrology. You know? And that makes sense. Hashem created the world. Oh, you want to have that debate? Come downstairs. And by yeah. Right? The, 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 the Hashem created the world. And the basic, I'm oversimplifying something because I don't understand it, but, but the basic principle is that there are different months of the year and different times, and based on where stars are at certain times, you can learn certain things. In other words, where a star is in the sky, where the sun is, what day you're born, those things aren't random. That actually makes a lot of sense. If Hashem created everything, why would anything be random? There's a pattern to everything. If you can figure out what the pattern is, you can learn things. Right? And if you talk to astrologists who are, who are serious, right? Every once in a while I would meet one through Israelite. I never went to go seek out the advice from an astrologer. And I think that, you know, the astrology section of the newspaper is good toilet paper. It's not really my thing. But that, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. That doesn't mean it's not serious. They say Yasser Arafat would regularly consult with an astrologer and he would not go to meet with anybody unless he met with an astrologer. And I guess they did right by him because he succeeded in all of his Narish guy. So that makes sense to me. You, you, somebody's born under a certain month and he's a shor. He's under the, the sign of the bull. And he has a certain personality. And I've never met a person who was born as a shor who isn't a shor. That's just who it is. That's not the issue with astrology. You know what the issue with astrology is? With the stars? Right, Avram says, how do I know? What's going to be? And Hashem says, come outside. And they go outside, and he says, look at the stars. And Avram looks at the stars. And what does Hashem say to Avram? Anybody know? Your seed will be greater than the stars. You won't be able to count them. Now, what's the problem with that line? We know that's not true. There are billions of stars. There are not billions of Jews. So, what's Tutzach? Says Rav Soloveitchik. Right? What that's saying is, the problem with astrology is if you think that this is your sign and you can't change it. Judaism says you can always change your destiny. You can change who you are. You can undo your path. Tshuva, the moon, you can change things. Right? We are beyond the definition of history. The Jewish people make no sense. We don't fit into the pattern. That's what astrology is. But, but what's the problem? If you think that the stars rule your life, then the stars rule your life. That's the problem with astrology. You know? It's interesting, by the way, right, that this raises the question, right, what is truly valuable in our lives? You know, it's interesting. You find this in certain areas. I'll give you an example. And by the way, there are only two there, there, there are two items which are very much connected to each other and they have certain halachos that are unique. And they are Avodah Zarah. Anybody know what the other one is? Chametz. What is common between Chametz and Avodah Zarah? Anybody know? Ownership? Nope. Bittel. We pass in Psachim Bittel Baal Masagi. Chametz before Pesach, if I nullify it in my mind, it's Batel. It has no meaning. If I have chametz in my house, now, midrabanan, we don't pass in this way because a person might come to eat it. 
But putting aside the Durabanan, Midoraisa from the Torah, if I have challah rolls in my cupboard, you're not allowed to have challah rolls in your cupboard. There's three Yisurim, Bal Yirai, Bal Yimatzeh, and Bal Yochal. You're not allowed to have it there. Right? So Bal Yimatzeh, it's not supposed to be in your house. But if I'm a Vatalit, if I nullify it, have Ka'afra Da'ara, it is no longer real for me. Done. There is a Gemara that says, anybody here ever, has anybody gone to a museum here? Have you gone to a museum? Anybody go to the, uh, what's it called? Um, the, 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 the Bible Lands Museum? This is an amazing museum. Been there? It's an amazing museum. It's a museum uh, up uh, towards Hebrew U. It's an easy bus ride from here. And I'm fascinated by this stuff. And they have discovered there, there are idols. Mamash Canaanite idols straight out of Tanakh. You can see idols the Canaanites worshipped. You can see idols the Jews worshipped. It's Mamash Avodazar. Now I'm paying a fee. And I'm going into the museum, and I'm standing in front of this display, and it's, it's unbelievable. You can see what a bow looked like. You can see what a mullet. It's unbelievable. So I'm getting a now I'm getting pleasure from a Vodazara. How am I allowed to do that? It's not pleasure, right? So the Gemara says, and the Shulchan Aruch, by the way, I found this today. The Shulchan Aruch in Yeridea, Paskins this halacha. It's in Kuflamatet Bet. Simon Kuflamatet. Based on the Gemara, Avodazara Shabbat Lagoy, Muteret if the Goyim, if the non-Jews no longer worship this, if they nullify it, it's batel. In other words, you can be mevatel something, why would you have that halacha? Because this idol is idolatry because you give it its power. If you don't give it its power, if you don't see it as valuable, it's no longer valuable. Right? There are many, many examples of this. Right? There's a pasuk in Yirmiyahu. It says, Matom Riki Right? Yirmiyahu in Parakid Gimel, the 13th chapter of Yirmiyahu, he says, What will you say, Yerushalayim? We're almost done. What will you say, Yerushalayim? When I, Hashem, send the conqueror to conquer you, what are you going to answer? For all your sins, for all your chataim. And I'm going to send the Babylonians. And you made them your commanders. What does that mean, you made them your commanders? So the Mepharsh and the commentaries say that he's referring to a Pasuk, right, in Malachim Bet, right? Pasuk in Malachim Bet, okay? There's a king by the name of, one second. This is the first time Bavel is mentioned and this is the first time you find in the Tanakh that the Torah tells us that Bavel is going to conquer Yerushalayim. This is that point. So this contains the secret of why Bavel conquered Eretz Israel and the Jews and destroyed us, right? Or destroyed what we had. So Melech Bavel, right, sends Svarimu Minchayel Chizkiyahu. He sends all these messengers from the kingdom. Babylonia is this powerful empire. By the way, in Yeshayahu, it doesn't say Vayishma, it says Vayismach. He was happy, he was beautiful, he was so excited. The President of the United States sends a message you know, to me, and he sends a secretary to visit me. Oh, we've got to do a big geschäft, right? Okay? He shows them everything he has. Chizkiyahu shows these malachim everything, all the treasures, the base of Mikdash, and the palace, and everything. In fact, the Gemara says, and it's brought in Pirkei Rebeleza, that his wife serves them coffee. His wife serves the, the messengers of the king. Yishayahu Anavi comes to Chizkiyahu. 
ויבוא ישעיהו הנביא אל המלך חזקיהו ויאמר אליו, מה אמרו האנשים האלה? What did they say to you, these people? ויאמר חזקיהו מארץ רחוקה באו, מבבל. They came from a faraway land, from Bavel. ויאמר מה ראו בביתך, what did they see? And חזקיהו says, את כל אשר בביתי ראו, לא היה דבר שלא ראיתי בעצמותך. I showed them everything. Now listen to this, this is unbelievable. ויאמר ישעיהו אל חזקיהו, שמע דבר השם. Yeshayahu says to him, okay, listen to what Hashem says now. Hinei yamim ba'im, a day is coming. V'nisa kol asher b'veitecha, you showed them all the treasures in your house, everything in your house will be taken. V'yashir atzru avotecha adayom hazeh b'vela, everything you gathered, all the treasures you kept, all, it's all going to b'vela. Lo yivater davar, amash, nothing will be left. In other words, the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to destroy this kingdom. There's going to be nothing left. Your children will be servants. Some say eunuchs in the palace of Babel. What does Chizkiyahu do? If Melech Yisrael, Chizkiyahu HaMelech, thinks that Babel is this great empire, then they're this great empire. And Yumiyahu says, you made them your master. You decided they're your master. The first one say, what's going on here? You decide in life what owns you. You decide what your master is. What do you serve in this world? Do you serve Torah? Do you serve Akash Baruch Or do you serve money? What's really important to you? What, is the, what does the Mishnah say? The, the world stands on three things. It doesn't say a college degree. It doesn't say money. It doesn't say stocks. It doesn't say math and physics and engineering. It says ala Torah ve'ala avodah ve'algimilut chasadim. The world stands on chasad. It stands on avodat Hashem. It stands on Torah. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with going to college. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with getting an engineering degree. But if the engineering degree is what controls your life, then you're serving engineering. You get to decide in this world what you serve. And you have to put it in perspective. If you want to have a healthy experience in college, you have to sit on it a little bit. You have to recognize that the party in Maryland is not what you serve in this world. It's nonsense. If you see a fraternity as a valuable experience, if you see joining a fraternity as something to be held up, if you send a resume somewhere and the first thing is which fraternity you were in and which college, then that's what's most important to you, then that's what you serve. And that's scary. I think Rachel is giving us the solution here. I think Rachel is suggesting, you know, that what we think matters, and I'll just end with this great example. There's a Gemara in Tanit, and Daf Chafei, famous Gemara. Uh, interesting debate about how this happens, but the short version is that something goes wrong in the house of Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Rabbi Hanina either comes home or he does it himself, it's not clear. And they accidentally take the oil lamps and they fill them up with vinegar. And his daughter's in a panic. It's the area of Shabbos. They have to lie. What are they going to do? And he says, Malach Biti, what, what are you worried about? Let he who says that oil should burn, let him make vinegar burn. Now, you and I know that vinegar is not combustible. You can't burn vinegar. You can try it at home. Someone forgot to tell Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Hanina. So I guess if you're Rabbi Hanina, and you say the vinegar is going to burn. The vinegar burns. But how does that happen? 
Now, whether this happens literally or allegorically is irrelevant to me for now. If you think that vinegar can't burn, then vinegar can't burn. If you think that when 300,000 men cross the Suez Canal, it's over, then you go running. Because what controls your life is how many soldiers there are. But if you stand for something bigger, if you decide, David HaMelech goes to fight Goliath with a few stones. Because, because, because who's fighting that battle? He's not fighting that battle. He's just taking some stones to do what Hashem wants him to do. Because Baruch fighting the battle. So if Hashem is fighting against Goliath, Goliath's a midget. The whole thing's ridiculous. David feels bad for Goliath because he's going to get destroyed because of Kosh Baruch And this is so clear to him that there's no battle. He takes one rock and kills him in Gabbana. Cuts off his head, we're finished. Now, it's a challenge to look at the world that way. But it's something to aspire to. And I think this is the year to kind of change the way we look at the world in a healthy way. That's what Parsha Vayetze is about. Get out of the paradigm we're stuck in. Begin to see if you can see things a little differently. And to the degree that we're able to, you know, challenges are opportunities. Suffering builds character. It's all good. You just don't know why it's good. Can you imagine a great tragedy occurs? You go downstairs and the children burn. Can you imagine? This should be Tehillim. If you go downstairs and the children burnt, then Hashem doesn't want me to eat children. Okay, my wife organized it. Fine, she's a malach. She's the messenger of Akash Baruch By the way, what does it mean that a malach comes to you? An agent of Hashem. Yaakov sees certain things and understands Hashem is talking to him. That's how I look at that story. Do we see that? Do we see the things in our life? So that's a lot to think about and a lot to unpack. I will finish off by telling you this concept changed my life. T- to be able to consider what is my life really about? What really owns us? What do we serve in life? That changes the way you live your life. So this is not the time to answer that question. This is the year to start thinking about that question. Little food for thought on Parsha Vayetzeh.